of John. Today, we're jumping right back into the series, the year-long series of the Gospel of John and talking about, uh, talking about Jesus. Uh, next week, Jimmy wants to talk on chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. I'm picking up in the middle of the chapter, chapter 15 through 21. You're talking about you know, uh, Jesus and what Jesus has done and as Jesus' life and story unfolds. Now, I like politics. I enjoy politics. And I know it's a very controversial time, and I'm not going to stand up here and tell you who I'm voting for, any of that. I just enjoy it. Although it's gotten a little messy this year, um, but it always gets messy. We always remember the most current one, man. When you read and look back at all the other past uh, polit- uh, elections and stuff, it gets messy. It's messy every time. But what I enjoy about it, I love the people of politics, probably more than the, the politics itself. I enjoy the, the process. I enjoy seeing how the government works and functions. And right now I'm reading this book by Condoleezza Rice, No Greater Honor. She was uh, Secretary of State for George, uh, President George W. Bush. She's one of my favorite political people, and she gives a lot of great insight. She worked with Ronald Reagan. You know, she worked through the 90s behind the scenes and stuff. Just great insight, and I just enjoy hearing what she has to say. I just finished a book called Washington's Secret Six, The Spy Ring That Saved the Revolutionary War. Fantastic book. It talks about George Washington as a war commander and gives you the insight on how he made decisions based upon the Revolutionary War. But what was interesting about this book, you know, it does not talk about George Washington as a farmer. It doesn't mention anything about George Washington as a surveyor. It doesn't talk about George Washington's distillery. It doesn't talk about George Washington as president of the United States. It only talks about him as a war general. You know, the book doesn't even talk about his wife, Martha. It doesn't talk about his stepchildren, the two stepchildren he had. Only about George Washington as a war general. Now here's the thing, with the Gospel of John, what the Gospel of John is doing, he is painting a whole picture of Jesus. Not just a little aspect of Jesus, but the Gospel of John is wanting to give us this story, this true story, this accurate story of Jesus as who Jesus really is. There are some parables, there are some stories that John leaves out. There are some parables, there are some stories that are shorter than the other Gospels have, that Matthew, Mark, and Luke have. There are some stories that John don't even have at all that Matthew, Mark, and Luke talk about in his story. But John, what he's trying to do is paint this picture of Jesus as the Son of God. And here's why he is doing that. In John chapter 20, verse 31, But these things are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so what John is doing is picking moments of Jesus' time here on earth to demonstrate that he is the Son of God. He is picking these stories, he is purposeful in what he is writing and what he is including in his text. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they record Jesus' miracles. But what John does is take them one step further and call them signs. And these signs point to Jesus as the Son of God. Now Jesus didn't do these miracles to dazzle people. He didn't do these miracles to be considered a rock star. He didn't do these miracles to be exalted. But what these miracles do and point to is his sonship, the sonship of being God, the sonship of God's son. And so that's what he's doing. Now next week, Pastor Jimmy gets to talk about this awesome miracle where Jesus feeds 5,000 people, that the disciples were part of this miracle. And then after this miracle happens, the crowd begins to pursue Jesus and begin to go after Jesus and want Jesus to overthrow the Roman government. 
But Jesus realized that Jesus knows that he's not here to be a governor. He's not here to be king of the land. But the reason that Jesus is here is to be kings of our hearts. To be king of our hearts. And so John is writing all of these things you know, so that, in, um, that you may believe in the Son of God. That you may believe in who he is. That you may believe that he is going to be king of your heart. So let's jump in. John chapter 6, starting with verse 15. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake, where they got into a boat and set across the lake for Capernaum. Now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat. And immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. Today, in this passage, in my message today, I want to to focus on this passage here in John, but also Matthew and Mark. They were there. They were part of this. They they seen this unfold, and so they tell the story as well. And so I'll be pulling from uh, Matthew chapter 14 of Matthew's narrative of this, and also pulling excerpts from Mark chapter 6, if you want to go and read later about their stories. And so I'm going to blend them together. But what we see in this moment of Jesus performing this great miracle with his disciples, feeding 5,000 people, and then unfolded with the disciples' very own hands. They would break this bread, and the bread would not get smaller. It would still be enough bread to feed everybody. And so the disciples were part of this. And after the, the crowd had seen this, they wanted to go after Jesus and make him king. But Jesus decided to, to, uh, to send the disciples on, and so he can go back and hang back to be by himself. And to pray. And so the picture that I want to paint for you today is that me and you, we are a lot like the disciples. We can relate to the disciples more than we know. Because we hear about Jesus. And we acknowledge Jesus, his claims to be God. We go to church every Sunday. We serve on a ministry team. We acknowledge that Jesus works beyond the shadow of a doubt that he is the son of God. But the problem is, it doesn't permeate our lives. It doesn't go beyond these doors when we get in our cars and go home. And so the disciples were struggling with the same thing. But we need to make Jesus part of every aspect of our lives. And that's what God, that's what Jesus was trying to teach the disciples. Now what we have here, the Sea of Galilee, where the, where the disciples were going, what Jesus sent them across, it's a unique body of water. The Sea of Galilee, it's about, um, it's about 600 feet below sea level. And it's surrounded by mountains. And so what would happen in the evening, the air over the water was warmer than the air coming down off the mountains. And so what they would do, they would meet each other and cause violent storms and violent uh, wind and violent uh, waves in the ocean. And the thing is, Jesus knew this. When he said to the disciples to go on the water, he knew this would happen. But also the disciples knew as well. Because the disciples were fishermen. This was the place that they worked. There were many disciples that fished, and they, this was the place that they would go fishing for their, for their food or also fish to sell to make a living. So they knew the characteristics of this lake, and they knew that in the evening that this can happen. And the disciples obeyed Christ, even in the fact of knowing this. In the obedience, the disciples climbed into the boat, heading on the Sea of Galilee, knowing that this would happen, of this life-threatening storm. 
It's important for us today to understand that the disciples were in this storm because they obeyed Christ. The disciples were in this storm because they were in the will of God. There are two types of storm that are mentioned in the Bible, or that I feel they were mentioned throughout Scripture. One, there are storms of correction. There are storms of correction. And we see this really with Jonah. Jonah was a prophet in the Old Testament. There's a book that he wrote that's named after him. And God used Jonah to tell people about him. And so God told Jonah to go to Nineveh, to go and preach, go to tell him about God's love. But when Jonah did that, he did not like, when God told Jonah that, Jonah did not like that. Because Jonah did not like the people living in Nineveh. And so he decided to go the opposite way, to disobey God and go to Tarsus. And so on their way to Tarsus, a violent storm came. And Jonah realized what was happening. And the people on the boat, they were scared. They were afraid for their lives. And then Jonah said, the storm is here because of me. Throw me overboard. And they threw Jonah overboard. The storm calmed. A big fish came up and ate Jonah. And three days in the belly of, in the belly of that fish where Jonah was. And he realized what he was doing. And he said, okay, God, I'm going to do what you want me to do. I'm going to serve you, and I'm going to go to Nineveh. And so he went to Nineveh and went there, and he preached. He told what, he spoke what God told him to speak, and those people's hearts turned to God. And so that storm of correction for Jonah changed his life and gave him the ability to understand to obey God. But then there are also storms of perfection. There are storms of perfection. These storms that God brings to strengthen our faith, these storms produce spiritual growth in our lives. And this is the kind of storm that the disciples were in at this moment. They obeyed God. They were doing what God told them to do. They got in the boat. They went to Capernaum, and they were going on the way to Capernaum, and the storm came. They were in that storm because they were obeying God. You know, I've heard it said that um, the disciples, you know, they struggled. They, They saw Jesus' miracles. They saw what Jesus did. They saw all the things that they were a part of by being in Jesus' life. But when they got in that boat, they forgot all those things. They forgot that, that Jesus can, can uh, do great things. They, they lost their faith. They lost their hope in God and just focused on their circumstance. And I've heard it said that the disciples, uh, from an author I was reading, said the disciples had a hard time seeing Jesus as the Son of God. And now in our society, we struggle with seeing Jesus as a man. The son of man. But what we need to do and understand that he's both. He was both a man and he was also both the son of God. You know, the disciples, they were fearful for their lives. But they were safe in the storm, in the will of God. They were safer in the storm, in the will of God, than on the shore with the crowd out of the will of God. They were safer in the storm than on the shore with the crowd. Because they were in the will of God. The disciples, they looked at their circumstance and felt overwhelmed. They were afraid. And what we need to understand is to never judge our security based on our circumstance. Never judge who we are based on our circumstances. Because when you find yourself in the storm, you have to obey God. You have to obey and you have to remember that he brought you there. And if he brought you to the storm, he will take you through the storm. If he brought you there, he will carry you through it. Courtney and I, we have um, best friends, Richard and Megan Harold. They're missionaries in South Africa. Rocky River Church is their home church. We are their home church, and when they come home, they'll be coming home in December to be a part of us. 
And we had a golf tournament uh, two weeks ago that were able to raise money to help support their ministry, also so they could come home for Christmas. They have been not been home in four years to be at their family at Christmas. And so this is an opportunity for us to be able to bless them. They get to come home. And I thank everyone that was a part of that. They helped support that, who donated, who played, who sponsored holes and stuff. That was awesome. But let me tell you, Richard and Megan Harold, they're in the will of God. But let me tell you some things that they had to suffer through. They had to suffer through some lack of funding. They had to suffer through uh, security in their life. They had to suffer with their home getting robbed. They had to suffer with Richard getting stabbed. They have to suffer transition in ministries. They had to suffer with their kids getting sick in an environment that is devastated with the AIDS virus. Could you imagine that? But yet, all the same time, they were serving in the will of God. They're doing exactly what God had called them to do. And they knew that they're safer in the will of God than it is being on the shore with everybody else. They're doing awesome work in Africa by being in the will of God. Now, here's the thing. And John writes in chapter 16, verse 33, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Right here it's very clear. John is telling us that we will have trouble, we will have tribulation, you will have heartaches, you will have problems, you will have circumstances that just feel like it's going to overthrow you. And because you are a Christian, it does not mean that everything is going to be sunshine and lollipops. Just because you're a Christian, it doesn't mean that everything is just going to be easy. What it does mean is that when the troubles are here, when the bad circumstances are here, the health problems are here, that Jesus will be with you in those moments. No matter what that circumstance is, no matter what's going on in your life, that Jesus will be right there with you. Jesus was watching over his disciples, and he watches over you. Jesus was watching over his disciples, and he, was, and he watches over you. In Mark 6, 48, Then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Here's the thing. Jesus sees, and he feels the weight of our burdens. He knows what we're going through right now in that very moment. He knows what you're going through right now wherever you're at. He knows. In Hebrews 14, 4, in 4, 14 through 6, it says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest, that's Jesus, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but, we, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to him in time of need. This is saying right here that Jesus knows our fears. Jesus knows our circumstances. Jesus knows our need. He knows exactly what is going on right now in your life. He knows about your health problems. He knows about your financial struggles. He knows about your child that you've been praying for. He knows about your sickness. He knows about these things in your life. He knows, and he also knows you. In the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, the children of Israel, the Hebrews, they were in bondage for 400 years. They were in cruel bondage by the Egyptians. And God had a promise for them. But they were still in bondage. And then Moses came, God came to Moses in Exodus 3, verse 7 says, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry, for I know their sorrow. 
No matter what storm you're in today, Jesus is involved. He knows and he cares. He is in control of the situation. He is in control of the situation. Even though the storm is raging in and crashing against the boat and you're using everything in your might just to make it through, he knows and he is involved in your situation. Jesus was praying for his disciples and he prays for you. Jesus was praying for his disciples during that storm and he prays for you. It says in Matthew 14, 23, and when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. Not only was Jesus watching over them every moment, battling through the storm, these disciples, but he was also praying for them. And the same is true for you in your life. Jesus sits right now at the right hand of God, praying. Praying for you. Everyone that is a believer, everyone that calls themselves a Christian, everyone that serves Jesus, he's praying for you right now. And so he knows that situation that you're struggling with. He knows that problem that you're going through. He knows that circumstance that is just overwhelming in your life because he's praying for you right now. In Romans 8.34 it says, Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died. And furthermore, he is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us, who is also praying for us. If you call yourself a child of God, Jesus is praying for you right now. Because He knows the circumstance that you're in. He knows the problem that you're struggling with. He is praying for you right now. In Hebrews 7, 25, Therefore He is able to save the uttermost those who come to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. Whoever comes to Christ, He is praying for you. I want you to know this, that if you're not a Christ follower, if you're still trying to figure this church thing out or Jesus out, the moment you become a Christian, He is praying for you. He desires to be in a relationship with everyone. And He'll pray for you. In John 6, 19, when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat. And then Matthew 14, 25, now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. It was the fourth watch of the night. This is somewhere between 3 a.m. and sunrise. This is the time of the night when it's at its darkest. And this is the time of the night when you just, there's less light, you know, making it the darkest hour. And so the, Jesus came to them in the darkness of the night. Jesus came to them at the hardest moment. And they could have been at the sea up to nine hours. They were completely exhausted. They strained at rowing. The wind was against them. They would make a little bit of way and get pushed back. They would go a little bit further, get pushed back. It's like our finances. You make a little bit of money and you get some saved, then the engine goes out in your car. You have to change your transmission. Or you get a little bit of money saved and the air conditioner goes out in your house. Or you get a little bit of money saved, then this happens. And you're just exhausted and you're wore out. And it's the same thing that was happening with the disciples. They were just wore out. In Matthew 14, 24, But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves. For the wind was contrary. They had expanded all their efforts, and they were getting nowhere. Mark 6, 48 says they were straining at rowing. The thing is, Jesus came to the disciple in the midst of their storm, and he will come to you in your storm. Jesus came to the disciples in the midst of their storm, and he will come to you in your storm. No matter what that storm is, he will come to you in your storm. 
Now, the hard thing is trying to figure out when Jesus will come and when, when Jesus would do it. You know, have you ever wished that, that Jesus would just, the storm would just end right now? I do. You know, I wish my circumstances would, would, would get better. You cry out in weariness. You cry out because cry out you're exhausted and you just want the storm to go away. But here's the thing. God's timing is perfect. If we serve a perfect God, then his timing is perfect. If we serve a perfect God, then his plan is perfect. Even in the midst of the storm. And there's no one better to meet our needs than a perfect God. And so he knows what we need to fulfill his purpose. We need to trust him and have faith in him. And I know it's hard. You know, I often wonder why, you know, why did Jesus walk on the water? You know, he could have just snapped his fingers and, and showed up and appeared in the boat to them. But instead, Jesus walked three to four miles on the water to get to the disciples. He walked three to four miles to get with them. And I think Jesus came walking on the water in order to show them the very thing that they feared was simply a path for him to show him, teach him about faith. So Jesus walked the three to four miles to show the disciples that, hey, listen, believe me. Believe me who I say that I am. Believe me. Understand that I am with you. And Jesus showed them who he was, that he was a son of God. No matter what, no matter how dark it is or how exhausted you feel, I know you get tired, I get tired. But remember, you will never find yourself in a place where Christ cannot find you. No matter where you're at or what's going on, you will never find your place where Christ cannot find you, and he will come to you. You know what happens you know, with me sometimes? I focus on my problems, and I get distracted from God. I forget who he says he is. I look at the waves crashing in on the boat. I look at the winds blowing. I, and I just, I, just, I just don't understand. And, and then I begin to look at my money. How, how can I tithe to God when I'm struggling to pay my car payment? How can I tithe to God when, when I got all these other bills coming up over here? How can I tithe to God when, when I'm just living paycheck to paycheck? That's what faith does. When you tithe, you're showing that you have faith that God is going to provide for you. It's not easy. Especially when money's tight. It's not easy. How, how, how can I serve God? How, how can I uh, come to church and volunteer and serve on a ministry? Team? I am just exhausted. I don't have enough time to sleep. How much more time do I need to do this? I don't have time as it is. Somehow, God makes time in your life. I've noticed in my life, things just fall into place. Because I trust Him. I don't understand how. I don't understand how I did all these things. And all of a sudden, man... They, they, those things fall into place. You know, sometimes I struggle and I want to hide. I want to get away. I want to just to go be by myself. But the problem with all these solutions, they don't involve Christ. These solutions don't involve Jesus. He wants to be involved in our lives. He wants to be involved in every aspect of our life. The disciples, they were focused on their problems. And they did not recognize Jesus when he came. And the same happens to me. And the same happens to you. You know, I don't look a lot of times when problems are going on until I get slapped in the face for Jesus. You know, when I'm struggling, I'm saying, okay, how, how can I make this work? You know, how can I do this? You know, what can I do that? I look, on, I look on the waves. I look at the wind. I look at the boat. I look at the water first before I look to Jesus. The disciples, they were not waiting for Jesus by faith. There are times in my life that I don't wait for Jesus by faith, but I have to. 
I have to understand that God has a perfect timing, a perfect plan, a perfect will for my life. That's who he says he is. The disciples, they forgot about 24 hours earlier about the miracle that Jesus did through them, using their own very hands and feeding 5,000 people. They had forgot about that. And so when Jesus came, they didn't recognize him because they were too focused on the problems that were having. having. Fear and faith cannot live in the same heart. Fear and faith cannot live in the same heart because fear always blinds the eyes to the presence of the Lord. It will always do it. Fear will always take your eyes off the Lord every time. Now Matthew tells the same story, and he expands on it a little bit different and adds uh, Peter into it. In Matthew, it's verse 28. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to on the water. In 29, Jesus says, come, he said. Then Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? Here's the thing. Jesus had a purpose for the storm for the disciples. He has a purpose of the storm for you. And that storm is for their growth and our growth. That storm was to have the disciples to grow in their faith. And the storms that you may be going through right now is for our faith. He wanted them to recognize that he had been, what they had been seeing as his miracles unfold and apply it to their lives. And let me tell you, this whole church thing that you come to every Sunday, it's not an experience. This whole church thing that you come to do is not an event. It's just not a great lesson. It's just not come up here to hear me or Pastor Jimmy give a speech. It's not a concert. It's something that is to be applied to your life. It is something for you to work out your faith and to show other people about Jesus. Because you have the good news if you're a Christian. Because there's so many people that are hurt. There are so many people that are dying. And you've got the answer. We need to apply it to our lives. I mean, if you had the cure for cancer, will you not share it? Right? We've got the cure for eternity. Why don't we share it? That's what Jesus wants to do in our life. And so we need to apply it, not just here on Sunday mornings, but at Sunday evening at 6 o'clock, on Monday morning at 9 a.m. going to work, to everyone that you know in your family, in your neighbors, in your work, on the ball field, whatever it is, it needs to be applied to your life. And that's what Jesus was wanting the disciples to do. That in the storm, that you would trust him. That you would just realize that, that he's going to take care of you. When your child is sick, that you're going to trust Jesus. When you're going to live paycheck to paycheck, no matter what, that you are going to trust Jesus. And so the purpose of the storm is to allow Jesus to be who he says he is. And that's the Son of God. That's to allow Jesus to, to work with you in, the, in, in this storm so that you can make it through. The storm serves as a reminder about the things that I forgot the time that he healed me. Or about the time how he provided for me financially. Or about the time on how things worked out. And so that storm can serve as a reminder of the goodness and the faithfulness of God to me. And so with Peter, when Peter came as Jesus, is that really you? If it is, tell me to come walk on the water, come out to you. And Jesus said, yes, come Peter. And he did. He came out and walked to Jesus. Now, I could, I could easily see myself being the other 11. Say, hey, Peter, don't you go overboard. No, no, don't, don't go overboard. Literally, man, stay back here with us. You don't know what you're doing. Stay with us on the boat. The disciples thought it was safer on the boat. 
But in reality, it was safer with Jesus. And that's the same with us. We think that the boat is safe, but it's not. The boat means security for them, but Jesus was not in the boat. Jesus was on the water. And so many times, we're like, our, we're like the 11 other disciples out on the boat, and we cling and hold on to the boat. You know, we, we have human reasoning. We trust in our own logic and human wisdom. We have human effort. We think that we could try harder and row harder and, and row quicker and row better to get to the other side. We think that human comfort, we choose what appears to be safer and more comfortable. That's human reasoning. We feel that we can have our own human achievements. That if you come to church enough, that you volunteer enough, that it'll save you. You know, we feel that we can do it on our own human ingenuity. That we're smart enough to think it through. That we can make it through this problem. That we can do this. Whatever it is that you're doing, and it's by yourself, you're doing it in the boat without Jesus. You're doing it all along. Jesus wants us to take a step of faith and obedience and then get out of the boat. He wants us to do that. Faith is not believing in evidence, in spite of evidence, but believing in spite of consequences. And then I've seen it happen. It's happened with me. There are times I'll, I'll step out of the boat and I'm like, oh gosh, Jesus. And I can keep my eyes on Jesus and something crashes over here and I look over here and then something in my life happens right here and I look over here and then before I know it, I'm seeking and I'm no longer f- focusing on Jesus. But we see time and time again in the New Testament that talks about faith, about us having faith. We see it in John, 1 John 5, 4. Victory that overcomes, that's our faith. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. We walk by faith and not by sight. Hebrews eleven six. Without faith it is impossible to please Him, Him being God. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22. And Ephesians 2, chapter 6. In Christ... God has put all things under our feet. We live above our circumstance. Peter took his eyes off the Lord and began to sink because of his circumstance. That's what you and I do. Sometimes we take our eyes off the Lord and we sink because of our circumstance. But what Peter did was said, Lord, save me. It was a short little prayer, Lord, save me. And Jesus reached down his hand and saved Peter and pulled him out of the waves. And together they walked back to the boat. What's the circumstance in your life? What's the storm that you're battling with right now? Maybe today it's your marriage. Lord, save me. Maybe the storm is your money. Lord, save me. Maybe today you're struggling with your job. Lord, save me. Maybe you're struggling with honesty. Lord, save me. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's cheating. Maybe it's insecurity. Maybe it's your weight. Maybe it's other things, your children. Lord, save me. Whatever your struggle is, Lord, save me. Peter's prayer, it was short, but God always hears our prayers. And he reached down and saved Peter. Lord, save me. What is your desperate prayer? What is your desperate plea? The thing is, Jesus brought them through the storm, the disciples, and he'll bring you through the storm. No matter what that storm is, in John 6, 21, then they were willing to take him into the boat. Immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. And then in Matthew 14, 32, and when they got into the boat, the winds ceased. When Jesus entered the boat, the wind ceased. There was a peace. There was a strange calm. Jesus entered the boat, and there was peace. 
The peace that begins the day with you is asking Jesus into your heart, is asking Jesus into your boat. Because when we do that, when we ask him into our lives, he declares us righteous. He declares us faithful for everyone who believes in Jesus. And in Romans 5.1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him also we have access to, by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We can have peace in the middle of the storm. No matter what is going through, if we know God, if we know Jesus, we can have peace in that storm. And as the band comes up, Romans 5, verse 3. And not only that, but we also have glory in tribulation. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Let me tell you about my life. I struggle with uh, um, insecurity, and I worry. I worry, goodness gracious, do I worry. I worry enough to affect my stomach to where I, I hurt. I worry where it affects my sleep, and I can't sleep. But when I worry, I'm not acknowledging God as my, as, you know, as my Savior. But what I have to do, I've got this life verse that, that I just have to continually remember, and it's Philippians 4, verse 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. So no matter what that storm is that you're battling through, present your request to God, and that peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your heart and your mind. And I'm telling you right now, it's something that you can't explain. You know, last year uh, with my family, there were some things I just presented to God, and there was a peace. It was hard. There was a peace. Whatever circumstance that you're going through right now in your life, it may be hard, but you can live in peace. Because that's what Jesus promises us. Maybe today you don't have a relationship with the Savior. Maybe today you're just in a storm and you've never acknowledged Jesus and you just don't know what to do. You're just tired of rowing. Maybe today invite Jesus into your boat. And if that's something that you want to do today, that you're tired of doing this by yourself and you want Jesus to come into your life, I want to know about it. Because I want to pray for you and I want to give you resources to help you with that, with that life with that storm. The way to do that is inside your bulletin is a connection card that Pastor Jason talked about earlier. Pull that out and give us your contact information. And on there, check the box that says believing in Jesus. You can either drop that in the offering basket and I'll follow up with you this week or take it to the uh, information table. We've got a book and a Bible for you to help you in your new faith. Maybe you've been a Christian for a while and you've taken, uh, you kicked Jesus out of the boat and started doing things on your own. But today you want to invite him back in the boat, back into your life and let him take control over again. I want to pray for you. Let me know how I can pray for you. Use that same connection card. That at the end of service when you're dismissed, you could put that in the offering basket. And we'll pray for you as a staff. Maybe you just want somebody just to pray with you no matter what's going on. You feel God. You, you know that you're a Christian. You're very secure in that. 
but you just need believers to come around you. Put that on the connection card. I want to pray for you. Let's stand and pray. Dear God, I thank you for the love that you have for us. Oh, that you come to us in the middle of the storm. No matter what that storm is, you come to us. You desire to help us in that storm, to bring peace, to bring calm in that situation that we're just tired of rowing through. I pray that, our, that you will come in and renew our strength. That you'll fight that battle for us. I pray today for someone that's never experienced your strength. That today would be a brand new day for them. You told Isaiah that applies to us that if we seek you, we will find you. And so I pray that those that are desperately seeking you, they'll find you. That you will renew their life and renew their strength. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.